Hi, good morning. It's good to see you. This is my favorite part of the service because I get to take that mask off. <laughs> Heather and I have had COVID, and uh, one of the lingering effects is uh, breathing issues. And that mask tries to prevent me from sucking in air, and I'm glad to get it off. But, uh, yeah, um, um, my wife's name is Heather. Uh, we, we work for a mission, um, Liebenzell Mission of Canada. It's a German mission, uh, historically. It's been in Canada since early 80s. And uh, we run a retreat center there. Uh, for churches and groups and so on to come for uh, little church events that they have. It's been pretty slow the last year and a half. And, uh, and uh, so but we have a, a family coming in tomorrow, a family of five, and we're all so excited because we're going to have a retreat. Um, but I also, we also um, run the volunteer program. The mission in Germany sends over some young people from Germany in their gap year every year. We've got a group with us now, 24, that they're just finishing off. They will leave at the end of July, and then a group, new group will come at the end of August, Lord willing. Last year, they couldn't come until October. Um, and so we take care of them while they're here. They work. Some of them work at um, some camps up in Muskoka. A couple of groups that we have work for Youth for Christ, we have several that work in some local churches in the GTA. Um, I think that's about it, who I've left out. Um, and we just take care of them for the year that they're here. We've known your pastor for a long time. Heather's known him. <laughs> Heather's known him since he was probably four. And uh, Heather's father was a pastor. And uh, John, Pastor John's father was uh, an intern for... Heather's dad in the 70s, I guess. And then John was an intern for me. Uh, I'm not sure when, 2009, 10, 11, somewhere around there. And we've been chumming around ever since. Um, so that's a little bit about us, and that's enough. If you have any questions, you can get to me later. Oh, I was asked to make an announcement. My wife asked me to make an announcement. Our baby, who is 27, uh, moved to Barrie recently, and, and the job didn't work out, and, and she's looking to get back to Toronto. And if anybody knows of a place where she could live, an apartment or a room or something, we would be very grateful. Uh, so she's hunting around right now to find a place to live and get back to Toronto. She was born here. She loves it here. And she thinks she's in the country because she's living in Barrie. Um, and uh, anybody knows of a place where she can get back to the city that she loves, uh, we would appreciate that. I was, uh, I was intrigued by your comments about going out into nature. I love hearing city people talk. We live in Moffat. Um, it's part of Milton. It's between the uh, Mohawk racetrack and Guelph. Uh, it's the middle. Our nearest neighbor is about 200 meters from us away. Um, and it was interesting to hear you talk about getting out into nature. The one thing you did not mention, see, uh, city people don't think of this, is uh, we have trails on our property. We have 45 acres. We invite people to walk the trails. They're very nice. Um, 
but nobody can walk the trails between May and September because of the mosquitoes. And it's nice to step outside the door and see nature, but I, I, we, have, we have questions for the Lord uh, when, when this time of year. My word. We're surrounded by swamp, and it's all uh, the mosquitoes love to breed in the water. And uh, yeah, just taking the garbage out in the morning. Every Thursday, I take the garbage out, and, and it's, I'm hauling two garbage bins and trying to swat mosquitoes at the same time. But you didn't mention that, and that's uh, come and visit us. We'd love you to come. We can, we're allowed up to 15 inside the retreat center now. If you want to come for a getaway, we've, we've, what we have most of all is peace and quiet. The, um, the cell phone reception is horrible. The Internet connection is horrible. And so you will be forced to spend some time. It's very nice. Okay, I think that's enough. Let's pray. Father, we go to the Word, we pray that the marvel that you have caused it to be written, caused it to say what you wanted it to say, and you have preserved it through these 2,000 years and more so that we may have it and benefit from it and we may look at this text that is before us this morning. We pray that you would feed us with it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our King and our Redeemer, feed us with the living bread, and may we leave this place equipped to serve you in the way that you see fit. Encourage us, strengthen us, correct us, convict us. Do through the preaching of the word now what you want done in us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Is anybody here a member of Mensa? You know what Mensa is? Mensa is the group reserved for people who, whose IQ is in the top 5% of the population of the world. Heather and I were walking through a mall one time, and, and uh, there was a little kiosk in the aisle, and, and there was a book for sale, and Heather picked it up and said, Would you like me to get this for you? And it said right on the cover... It was a puzzle book for Mensa members. Uh, I had some doubts about this. I think they, they put that, this is for Mensa members, and they make, the, they, make the, they make the puzzles really easy. And then you start doing them, and you think you're really smart. And I wasn't prepared to spend money on that. Or it really is true, and then you try to do the puzzles, and you, you can't do them, and you just think you're really stupid. So... I had, I had no intention of doing either one. And I tell this story a fair bit about Heather offering me that book because the point of the story, well, the, the minor point of the story is this. If your wife thinks that you should be a member of Mensa, you want to keep her. I just, I just got the best wife on the planet. So I, I doubt that if I ever took whatever test Mensa has, that I would qualify, that I wouldn't pass the test. Uh, I took a scholarship exam in my last year of high school, and I never heard back from them. Um, uh, I didn't make it, and I, I know I wouldn't pass the Mensa test. I just don't qualify for membership. There are all kinds of exclusive clubs that, you don't, that you're not qualified for. 
perhaps, we're not sure, you know, who's the greatest golfer in the world, and there's all kinds of answers. Um, I think it was Jack, but a lot of the world thinks it was Tiger. And the interesting thing about Tiger Woods was he, he accomplished something far greater than just his golfing skills. He opened up golf clubs around the world. He, he won golf tournaments at golf clubs, golf and country clubs, that historically he would not be allowed to play in. He was the wrong color. They were restricted. They were for whites only. And you got this incredible talent coming up, and they had to change the rules for their golf and country clubs in order to have him play, and they wanted to have him play. And so they had to change the rules. I think that's his biggest accomplishment. But he wasn't qualified according to the rules of membership. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ... You are part of the most influential, beneficial, exclusive, fulfilling, satisfying, meaningful group on the planet. And even though it is the most exclusive club or group in the world, it is also one that that, that the membership for uh, the membership for being a part of it is impossible to meet. You don't meet the qualifications for it. Because the qualifications for membership in it is absolute sinless perfection. And whatever I don't know about you, I know that you don't fit that description. And yet you're a member of it because somebody else was sinlessly perfect. And he met all the qualifications. And if you put your faith in him, then you can be a member of this group. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you already are a member of this group. It's just the church of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things I do when I try to give the gospel to people, if they believe in God at all, I ask them, does God require sinless perfection in order to get into heaven? And they are forced to say no because they know they're not perfect, but they're hoping that they can get in. So they will say no. And then I say, well, the Bible says you do. There is no sin in heaven. It's not allowed. You're a sinner. And then they always say, they always say in response, who can, then who can get in? And then they say, every single time I've had this, because nobody's perfect. Don't meet qualifications. And then I say, well, there was this one guy. And he was sinlessly perfect. And he was fit to go. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And he never sinned, so he didn't earn the wages that death brings. But he died so that others could go, could get in. And if you hang your faith and your trust and your hope on this man, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, you will get in because God will credit you with his record because on the cross, he credited the Son with yours. And he is punished for sin that is not his, and you will get into heaven by trusting Christ because you have a, you are credited with a righteousness that is not yours. Mensa. Anybody can join this club. The, the qualifications are impossible to meet, but somebody else has met them for it, and you can get in if you're a member of Mensa, and you can get in if you can't add two plus two. It's the church. It's a glorious thing. 
You play word association. You know, I say black, you say, first thing that pops into your mind, white. You know, we think in opposite. You know, I say big, you say small. I, you know, I say smart, you say can. No, you say stupid. Play word association game with the word church with people. Play that with the general population. I say church, you say boring, outdated, useless, old-fashioned, unscientific, abusive. Some people would have opinions about it based on things that they have seen and heard from those who claim to be part of the church. I just I get to this point, and it just it just it just makes it makes your heart break that in this country, and this is not a political statement. This this is just that in this country, in the name of Jesus Christ, children were taken from their homes and put in residential schools and spent years there, and some of them died there, and some of them were abused there, and some of them had horrible experiences there. In the name of Christ. And I think of the little boy who asked a missionary to the natives on Manitoulin Island, why does Jesus hate us? Play word association with some people. You get some pretty bad things back. What would, what would we say to those who have suffered? You say, word, you say the word church, they say abuse. And it's just, it's just so heartbreaking. Play it with those who go to church. Boring, you know, long. Uh, if you say it to the truly redeemed, needing revival, hopefully joy, friendship. Oh, you want, you hope there's some good answers too. Many of the thoughts and ideas regarding the church by, by both people inside it and outside of it are just sometimes just plain wrong. Perhaps it, the wrongness is based on a, a bad experience or a caricature or they hold to an opposing philosophy of life. All kinds of things that can and do lead to an erroneous concept of the church of which we are a part. Some would say it's a building. We know it's not a building. The, the church worldwide has a reputation of being um, male-dominated, white, you know, patriarchal, Western. When in fact, in the world today, most Christians in the world today, most members of the Church of Jesus Christ in the world today are not in the West, and they are not male, and they are not white. The Church is made up of a vast array of people. No end to the ideas that people have about the Church. And Christian people, those who have been born again by the Spirit of God and whose faith rests in Jesus Christ, we ought, we ought to have an accurate and growing understanding of the church of Jesus Christ because we get that understanding out of the scriptures. Now suppose some announcements were being made from the pulpit here and there's going to be a meeting of this church next week after church, after the service. And whoever's making the announcement comes into this pulpit and said, next week, there will be a meeting of all those 
who are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him, predestined for adoption in Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of God's will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. There will be a meeting for all people fitting that description. Do you want to go? Do you think you're invited to go? Would you go? An incredible thing to say about a group of people. Blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him, predestined for adoption to Himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of God's will. There will be a meeting for all those people after church. Are you staying? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can. Because that's a description of you. That's how Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's a description of you. Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. Suppose the leadership of this church schedules a meeting to discuss the vision that should describe this church. We're going to change our vision statement. We're always making vision statements. And the leadership comes out from their meeting and announces to the church that the purpose of New City Baptist Church is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers in heavenly places. That's a pretty lofty thing. But that's what Paul tells us that the purpose, one of the purposes of the church is. It was read to us this morning. Ephesians 3.10 through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We'll look at that later. That's the purpose of this church, whether it's your vision statement, purpose statement or not. That's why we're here. To make known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. We believe what the Bible says about the church but we don't often think about those descriptions after we leave here and after we look at people. Look around the room. What do you see? I believe that every local church, every local church is the pillar and ground of the truth. I believe that every local church where there are true believers in it is comprised of those chosen from before the foundation of the world, born again, faithful followers of Jesus Christ. But I have been pastoring. I was a pastor full-time for over 35 years. I'm still pastoring these kids that come and doing various other things for over 40 years now. And when there's a problem, and when I look at people, when I listen to Christian people, my mind does not often go to the lofty-sounding phrases that God gave us to describe what the true church of God is. When a member of the church... When a, member, when a member of a church is unrepentant of some sin, which happens from time to time, my mind doesn't all of a sudden go to chosen from before the creation of the world. My mind goes to, oh dear, do I have to deal with this again? My mind doesn't go to this person is part of a group whose purpose is to display to principalities and powers and heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. But you know what? Maybe if it did, it would help us deal with the issues just a little bit better. Maybe if we thought like that 
a little more consistently, maybe, maybe we wouldn't fall into the sin that so easily besets us so quickly. We just need to think biblically about the church. So I just want to look. (laughs) I just want to look at a few little descriptions. I've already mentioned two of them, but we're going to zero in on them. Just four little descriptions of the church that Paul has in the book of Ephesians, in the letter to the Ephesians, which was a general letter. It went to the Ephesian church, went to some others as well. Ephesians 1, the church. Here's a description. And think of this. Think of this as your church, because it is. This is your church. And I've already read the statement twice. We're going to read it again. Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. So this says that we are a people blessed by God, chosen by God, predestined by God, Blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. Predestined for adoption as true sons through Christ. Firstborn sons, we all are, male and female. Because it's the firstborn son who gets all the stuff. The right of inheritance. Why did Paul begin his letter to the Ephesian church and to some other churches with this description of the church? Because he wanted people to fight about it. That's what we do with it. We see the word chosen, we see the word predestined, and we get all excited and we start fighting with people about what it means, what it doesn't mean. That's not why Paul gave this to us. Paul gave this to us so you could look around this room this morning and see who we are. Blessed in Christ. Is that what you think when you look around the room of a group of Christian people? That person in front of you, behind you, next to you, across the aisle from you, is a person blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. And part of your job is to help him or her get there. Predestined for adoption as true sons through Christ. It's not easy to see that when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, is it? What do we see when we look at our fellow believers? I learned a lesson a couple of times that I can think of, and maybe there's more. I think of two places in the New Testament where it says what Jesus saw, and it's just in such a striking contrast to what, as to what we see. Matthew 9, 34 to 36, it says, Jesus looked out over the multitude. And he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what he saw when he saw lost people. What do we see? We see wickedness. He saw people who were being taught nasty stuff, believing nasty stuff, and promoting nasty stuff, and it broke his heart. We see something different, don't we? And then I think of Peter. Denying Christ. And Mark gets it the best. And it says, and Jesus looked at Peter. Oh, my word. What did Jesus see when he looked at Peter? What do we see when we look at failing Peter? 
What do we see when we see each other? Can we try to think of the descriptions of the church of Jesus Christ on Tuesday when we see a fellow believer as much as we are focused on it now? Look around the room. Think about what you see. Well, I see somebody who owes me an apology. I see somebody who dresses funny, smells bad. I see all kinds of things. See Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. Help you. Help you in your relationship with other people in the church. Help you understand what God's doing in the world. If we saw each other like this, would it affect the way that we deal with one another? How could it not? Would it make everything okay? No. But would it help us deal with what's not okay? A little bit better, maybe. Then we go to chapter 1. That's the first thing. The church is the chosen people of God. Then we go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Ephesians 1, 22 says, And he, that is God, put all things under his, that is Jesus. So God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church. Did you read from the NIV this morning? So you got the NIV. And I think the NIV says, for the church. He gave him to be head of all things for the church. And I think that's the, that's the force of the meaning there. Jesus rules. Guys, it just blow your brains out. Jesus rules all the created order for your sake. That's stunning. He gave him to be head over all things to the church. For the church. And then it says, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The fullness of Christ, who fills all in all. What is the church in these verses? It is the fullness of Christ. Now look around the room. Is that what you see? The fullness of Christ? It means the church is that for which Christ fills all things. The church is that which completes the universal reign of Christ over all things. And he shall not return until he has won all whom he is going to win. So that we might be that which completes his reign over all things and for which he fills all things. The church is, in this verse, the body of which he is the head. It is that for which Christ reigns over all things. You say, well, why is Jesus reigning? And there's a whole bunch of reasons why Jesus is reigning over everything. Don't neglect this one. He's reigning over all things for us. Now, we had a prayer just a few minutes ago. And it was mentioned in the prayer about people going through hardship. What are you going through? You feel alone? Abandoned? Isolated? Persecuted? You wish life were not so hard? Your needs are getting the best of you? 
problems with the kids, problems with money, problems with sin, problems with temptation, problems with the neighbors, problems at work, problems with all kinds of things. And this verse tells us that Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, has been exalted to the right hand of the Father for our sake. And he rules everything for us. Now that doesn't mean you're going to be able to figure it out. But it does mean this. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. What in the world are you doing? And I, th- I think of Abraham in Genesis 18. And he's, he's praying. And I think it's Christ. It, three, three, three strangers come to visit Abraham. And then we see a few verses later that he's, Abraham's walking with one of them, asking God for favors. Who's that? Second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus Christ. Well, he wasn't born as Jesus yet, but that's who he's walking with. He's walking with the eternal Son of God. And Abraham says, well, you know, don't get upset with me. I got a few, I got something to ask you here. I know you're going to destroy this city for its sin. Talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, but if you could find 50 people, would you spare it? Jesus says, God says, yeah. And, and you read, read it in Genesis 18. Well, could I ask another? How about 40? How about 20? How about 10? For 10, I will spare the city. And one of the things that Abraham says as he's talking to God, the Son of God, in this, he says, now, Put up with me a little more. And he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What are you wrestling with? Don't forget that Jesus reigns over all things. And he's doing what is right. And there are days when I don't get it. And I don't see it. And I don't feel it. And I want something else to be happening. J.I. Packer, in his book, The Pursuit of Godliness, about the Puritans, he tells the story of the nun in the Middle Ages who was being carried on a chair. And one of these, you know, four four guys carrying her on on their shoulders. And one of them slipped and out she went into a mud puddle. She gets up, she's all muddy, and she says, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you don't have many. So she, you know, she didn't want this to happen to her. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing when we get the diagnosis. He knows what he's doing when our kids go strange. He knows what he's doing When the money dries up, he knows what he's doing with whatever it is that's assaulting us. And we hang on to him. And he says to us, I'm doing this for you. I am reigning over all things for you. How we need to remember this Monday morning. Third text. Well, there's a few on this one. Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 16 says this. 
This is the ESV I'm using. For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now he's talking here about Jew and Gentile being brought together into one body. He says he has broken down the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He said what the cross does, it erases the hostility between Jew and Gentile. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, Paul says in verse 1, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk worthy of your calling. And you say, what's the calling? You read all of, all of Ephesians 1 to 3. You see what your calling is and you say, how do I live like that? How, how, what's the worthy walk? And, and just listen. Paul says, here's the amazing thing that God has done. You know, chapters 1, 2, and 3. All that God has done for you in saving you through Jesus Christ. He said, now walk worthy of that. How do you walk worthy of that? Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You want to walk worthy of this amazing calling that is outlined in Ephesians 1 to 3? Get along, is what he says. Maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. The church is the unified people of God. Chapter 4, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The church is the testimony to the world of what real unity is about. And it is hard to even utter those words without crying over them. What has God given the world to demonstrate that peace is possible, unity, and that unity is a great thing? He's given it the church. And of course, that's all we display to the world is how well we get along. And we can look around the world and see an awful lot of things done in the name of Jesus Christ that doesn't speak of unity and of love to God and love for neighbor. It's heartbreaking. And we can't do anything about what the church has done in the past, what other churches in the world may be doing now. But what this little church, Bathurst Street in Toronto, can do is demonstrate real oneness, real oneness in the assembly and in the community. That's what we're called to do. Ephesians 1, 7. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite 
all things in Him. Jesus Christ has come into the world to bring unity to the world because sin divides. Sin hates people. Sin brings disruption. Jesus came to put an end to it. And we are to be in the world a testimony that whoever we are and whatever our sins are and whatever our culture is and whatever that in the world causes people to separate will not separate us. The purpose of God in sending His Son into the world is to unite all things in Him, in heaven and earth. What will it take for God to unite all things in Himself? What will it take? Death of His Son on the cross. And that's what's happened. <laughs> so, we can make sure that our church is a place where God is loved supremely. And our love for one another is proof that we love God. What's the greatest thing this church can do? What's the greatest thing this church can do? Keep the greatest commandment. Love God. And what's the evidence of that? Keeping the second commandment. Loving your neighbors yourself. That's why Jesus came. It's the greatest thing you can do. Everything, everything that God has ever told us is summed up in this. Love God, love your neighbor. I can't fix what other churches have done, but I can try to be in my church a man who loves God and loves his other believers. In chapter 3, so the church is, is, it is. Paul doesn't say it is to be or it could be if you only work hard enough. He's, the church is the unified people of God. And then we get to the text that was read for us this morning. And he talks about the mystery. And the mystery in the book of Ephesians, at least one of the definitions of the mystery. I say that because I was in a discussion with your pastor once. And I said, the mystery is that Jew and Gentile are one. He said, well, that's one of the mysteries. I said, okay. So I don't want to disagree. If I ever say anything that disagrees with John, then the key rule is just go with him. Okay? Uh, you don't even have to check out. Check it out. He's smarter than I am. He's much better read than I am. And uh, so just go with him. But anyway. The mystery in Ephesians 3 is the Jew and Gentile are one. He says that in verse 6. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And our calling from Christ is to demonstrate real unity. Not just Jew and Gentile, but all the, all the differences. We'll get to that a little more in a bit. And then you get to chapter 3, he's talking about the mystery, and he gets to verse 8, and Paul is talking about what his, what his ministry is. He says, my ministry is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's my, that's my, that's my goal, he says. And, verse 9, to bring to light for everything what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages, in God who created all things. Now, he says, my goal is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and to bring to light the mystery. And then he tells them why that's his ministry. 
Why is your ministry to preach to the Gentiles and bring to light the mystery? Verse 10, so that I have this ministry so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now look around the room. Little church here, not many of us. You know what the purpose of the church is? To make known the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's the purpose of this church. One of the purposes of this church. Now the question that I want to put to you is, who are the rulers and authorities? The purpose of the church is to show the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Who are these rulers and authorities? Well, later on in chapter 6, Paul will say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The rulers and authorities in heavenly places are the bad guys. I have no idea what time I started. I have a rough idea what time it is now. I'll be done in a minute, okay? Our goal, our purpose, is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the bad guys, to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's our purpose. The word manifold here means, I love this, multicolored. Multicolored. It means that the wisdom of God has many aspects to it. So the purpose of the church is to show the multicolored wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, the variegated wisdom of God, the, the enormous, multifaceted wisdom of God to the devil and all who follow him. To the bad guys. The purpose of the church, dear ones, is to show the devil what a loser he is. Multicolored. So combine that with the unity we talked about. The church is not marked by strife between different cultures and different colors and different peoples and different languages. Because around the throne of heaven, are people from every tribe and people and tongue and nation all singing the same song. And it says, that's, that verse is from Revelation and, and John says, I saw a crowd that no one could number. And I used to think that what amazed John was how big the crowd is, but that's not what amazes him. What amazes him is that people from every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation, these people are getting along. And that's, a, that's the multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God. And we show principalities and powers, rulers and authorities in heavenly places what a loser he is, what losers they are when we meet in here from places all over the world and we love each other. We show rulers and authorities what a loser 
he is and what losers they are when we sin and we go back to God. Because when you sin, and don't tell me if that hasn't happened to you, because I know it has. You do that sin again. You, you, you blow it again. You lose your temper. You forget to, you know, have a little word for the Lord to the guy who fixes your car or something. And you start punishing yourself and you get a little voice. What, what kind of a Christian are you anyway? You call yourself a believer. How could you say that? How could you think that? How could you do that? You know, you're supposed to be reading four chapters a day. Man, you haven't read four chapters this week. What kind of Christian are you? That's not from God, dear one. And you go to God with all those mistakes and all those sins and you say, Oh, Lord, forgive me. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we get up off our knees and we demonstrate to rulers and authorities that the grace of God is very great, greater than he is, and he can take a hike. And when you start believing the whisper in your ear, in your head, in your heart, the real Christians would never do that, think that, be there, go there. You're just listening to the wrong source. Because what we do with our sin is run back to Christ and say, give me strength. And we run to each other and find help. It's all kinds of stuff. Dear ones, we are tempted to measure ourselves by our size or our significance. How old is this church? Eight, nine years? Wow, we should be bigger by now. Who says? Be, be this. Be this. A blessed, chosen, predestined people of God. The very fullness of Christ who are united around the throne of Christ and are a testimony to everything bad in the world of the great, glorious grace of God. That's what this church is. What a glory all this is. Oh, what God has done. Let's demonstrate to the world what this little letter, just one little letter, says that we are. And let us proclaim the glories of the one who has done this by free, uncalled for, undesired, powerful grace, opened our eyes, gave us life, freed us from our slavery, and said, Here, you are my dearly loved chosen ones, the very fullness of Christ. Be united in Christ. And demonstrate to principalities and powers the multicolored, multifaceted, manifold wisdom of God. What a calling. What a thing God is doing in the world. And what a thing he's doing in this community through this little church. And he is doing it. And let us watch him do a great thing. God bless you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is a deeper treasure than we have plumbed this morning, but help us to take the few things we have seen in this and plant them deep in our hearts, we pray, that we would be encouraged by it, strengthened by it, and it would, we would remember tomorrow and Wednesday and Friday at the end of a long and arduous week what it is you have made us, why we are here, 
and what you are accomplishing through it. Thank you that you reign over all the created order for us. May we live for you this week. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.